This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig. And, um, you know, over the years that we've been friends, Lisa, we've had some interesting conversations about your life with your husband, Mehmet Oz, who is someone who would work, I think, around the clock if he could. No, no. Someone who does Who work does work. Correction. <laughs> I got that wrong. And it's been like part of your, you know, you guys are yin-yang around this. You would not, you would travel, actually. You would travel all the time and never come home if he... <laughs> I need to do laundry periodically. And I don't like laundromats, so I would come home for laundry. For fresh underwear. For yes. the love of fresh underwear, you would come home. But, you know, it's interesting because I think today's conversation is going gonna, is gonna to center a little bit around the importance of work, the intensity of work, and when you need to pull back. Do you feel like you are the balancing force with Mehmet in your lives? No, he just sucks me into his work. So there's no balance. <laughs> All hope there's, is lost. Uh, no, but well, hope is not lost because our guest today actually has, through example, provided some hope. She was the former chief marketing officer for Univision Communications, former senior vice president at NBC Universal, former global chief marketing officer at Hyatt Hotels, and the first ever chief marketing officer for Gannett. I mean, my gosh, this is a power resume if I've ever seen one. Um, Mariam Banakaram, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, the big question here is all of those start with former. Something changed, something you took a huge leap into the unknown. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so probably in the last year of my job at Hyatt, I sort of began to know that it was time to take a pause. I mean, I, I sort of knew it was time for a change. I didn't know that it was time for a pause. Let me rephrase that. Um, I think the first two because years was— you had not paused for even a second. Well, I hadn't really paused since I was 16. Um, <laughs> you know, I was sort of on. I'm like the energizer bunny. And it was time to leave Hyatt. I knew that. But I began to interview for another job, actually. and so. I was very close to taking that job or, you know, in the final stages of that job in December. And I came back to New York and I started having heart palpitations. 
And then I went home, and I was still thinking, okay, this was a great job, a great CEO, a great turnaround, a purpose-driven company, sort of right in my sweet spot. And my son, who's my nonverbal child of the two of them, um, looked at me and he said, Mom, you know, I totally understand if you take this job. It would have required me reverse commuting to New York from Chicago for a year and a half. He said, I totally understand if you take this job. I just wanted you to know that I would miss you. Mm. Nikki never says anything. Teenage boy. Teenage boy. Articulates profound thoughts. Yeah. And of my two, he's definitely the less likely. So it just made me pause for a second and think about what my body was telling me and what he was telling me. And so I took a couple of hours, and then I said to my husband, I just don't think I'm ready. I just don't don't think I can go right back in. So I think I'm just going to pass on this job, you know, and basically give a long transition and leave and just step out for a little bit. And he was super supportive, so I was fortunate in that. But it was a shock for them. I think they were a little terrified to have me around. (laughs) Um, Where are the aliens? What have you done with my mother? (laughs) Yeah. So um, can we go back for a second to the messages your body was sending you? Because I think that's so fascinating. Had you ever experienced that kind of mind-body connectedness and a signal like that? Not really. I mean, for me— you know, I think about it a lot now that I have time to think about things other than work. Um, you know, for me, I was always sort of on, right? And my job, particularly in the last 15, 20 years, was really a problem solver in times of transformation, which require you to be on really 24-7. It's not even a 12-hour job. It's a 24-7 job. So the pace is incredibly sort of punishing in that sense. But I, you know, but the truth is I like working, right? So my sister used to say, you know, she would take time off. She would go vacation. She loves, she'd love the idea of not working. And she sort of looks at me and she says, but you like working. Hmm. And the truth is I do like working. I love being productive and feeling like I'm making a difference. But there was something about that pace one after the next, um, and particularly the string of jobs you read off, where I went from one to the next pretty much without pause. In fact, when I left Gannett, which was a turnaround, right? I mean, People considered Gannett the largest newspaper company. It was like very, the building was on fire. Yes, very difficult you know, time for Layoffs, furloughs. Yeah. I didn't even know what a furlough was until I took that job. And um, I took a Saturday off in between the Gannett job and the Hyatt job. Um, you know, I buy into, like, the person I go to work for is urgency. And I knew he needed me, and he desperately needed me immediately. And I took a Saturday off. I literally flew to Chicago on a Sunday so that I could start on a Monday. And I commuted for eight months. So you so, were relocating as well. And and then I yeah. then I relocated two teenagers and a family, which was not for the faint of heart. But it was a global job, so I was never even around, right? Um, so I think just you can't do that pace over and over again without taking a break. It's funny. I think back when I was in business school, and I was an unlikely business school student, but when I was in business school, one of my favorite classes was turnarounds. And I used to love that idea, idea of coming into a company, fixing it, and then taking a pause and then going into another company and fixing. So that idea that you could do it in a project basis, you could come in, sort of set the stage and then pass it on because the course of business wasn't really probably the thing I was built for, um, was in the back of my mind. But I didn't really know how to go get that kind of a job. And so I seem to have sort of artificially created that momentum in my own career without it being that, but never having taken the pause. Yeah. So how did the pause? how did the pause feel to you? I mean, your son, your husband, they were a little shocked, but... Were, were you shocked? Uh, it felt odd yeah. uh, and uncomfortable, honestly, right? I was used to just being on the go constantly and having that pace. So it was 
bit of an adjustment. I think um, I must have reorganized every closet. We were in the we knew we were going to eventually come back to New York, so we were putting the house on the market. So you know, there's a million projects you can take on, and. I remember that them just looking at me and being like, just sit down for a second. Hmm. And I just wasn't good at that. I mean, I always joke I'd have been a good Puritan. I would have no time for idle hands. Um, so I was just, you know, getting rid of things, organizing closets. It was it just didn't matter that I wasn't at work. I was just busy. But busy doesn't actually allow you to stop and think and process. So I had this idea of taking the actual summer and moving to Venice Beach so that I could go someplace where I didn't have closets. I couldn't organize somebody else's closets, right? So um, we waited for the summer and then um, basically rented a place for eight weeks so that we could be by the beach. I sort of had this fantasy of being by the beach and pausing by water. My my grandmother, my children's great-grandmother is alive, and she lived out there. So that was sort of another gift of being able to spend time with her. And my daughter had an internship out there, so it sort of killed a lot of birds with one stone. How long has it been now since you've been working full-time? Since I started or since I stopped? Since you walked away from your last um, job. Less than a year. Are you when. getting antsy? Well, so I took the entire summer off, although people gave me advice along the way, which I find super helpful. And now after I wrote for the New York Times, I find I give people advice. I've become sort of like the dear Abby of the pause generation. Yes, um, for listeners, <laughs> um, Mariam then wrote a really interesting essay, which is what brought us to you, actually, That's about correct. taking this pause for the New York Times, which sort of went a bit viral. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So, you know, somebody gave me an advice and they said, treat it like garden leave. Like, you know, it's a finite amount of time as opposed to forever. And pick a couple of things that you want to accomplish during that time so that, you know, you're type A, so that you don't feel like totally um, at loose ends. And so I was in Chicago and I always thought I want to take a class at Second City. And I looked at the list and the one that fit was memoir writing. And so I signed up for the six-week, you know, evening class at um, Second City. and. Um, it was an episode of Community. It was like me and six other strange people <laughs> who would gather and, you know, write our life stories. Somebody was writing through the voice of their dog, you know, the whole the whole thing you can picture. And um, it was sort of lovely to be anonymous, you know, to show up and have nobody ask you questions about who you were or why you weren't working or whatever. But it got me writing, right? And um, I think she gave out an assignment the first day to write something and come back Um we showed up the second day. Somebody wrote a paragraph. Somebody wrote nothing. I had written 60 pages. And my husband said to me, oh, she doesn't know what's coming. And, um, <laughs> you know, she wasn't even prepared to read 60 pages. They weren't paying her enough for that. Yeah. She said, oh, we'll take this thing. We'll break it up <laughs> to six sections. <laughs> um, but it got me writing. And so over the summer while I was um, at the beach, I started writing. And I wrote the piece in the summer and submitted it not really knowing if it would get picked up. And then in November, they called, and this was my favorite moment. They called and said, um, if you haven't sold that piece, we'd like to buy it. <laughs> and I thought to myself, come on, when does that happen? The humility of the New York Times. Yeah, exactly. And so what was interesting after the piece came out, and now I'd sort of come back and begun to do some small project work here and there, was I started hearing from people. I would read all the comments because, to your point, it went a little viral. And I was interested to see what was resonating with people. And people loved the idea of choices and chapters because— as a woman, you're constantly being asked about work-life balance, and I don't think you can have work-life balance if you have a big job like that. And I used to say life is choices and chapters. Sometimes you lean into one decision. Sometimes you lean into another. Those are all choices. We all make choices every day, and you can think of your life in terms of chapters. And that really resonated. It was like people were looking for language to give them permission to do things. 
you know, it was interesting. I heard from people over 50. I heard from people who were 30. I heard from men and I heard from women. One gentleman wrote and said, I'm an immigrant. And as an immigrant, you can't leave a job without another job. Hmm. Um, so they were like, it was interesting to see the cultural nuances of like how complicated pausing is. I actually um, met with strangers, like people reached out on social media. This is like the power of social media. And if they were local, I agreed to have coffee with them. And it was fascinating to hear their stories and to give them advice sort of along their journey. Um, so it's it was interesting, but it was also terrifying. I mean, it's not like I feel like I have all the answers. I was just really sharing my own sort of anxiety. And the thing that had been interesting when I had said I was leaving, a friend had called and said, what are you doing? Are you going to another job? And I said, no, I'm taking a break. And she said, oh, that's so brave, which really meant you're totally crazy, <laughs> right? I mean, that was the translation. Yeah. Well, when we come back, we're going to talk more about how not crazy you actually are. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We are chatting with Marianne Banakaram, and you had spoken about choices and chapters. And I want to go back to one of your very early chapters in life, and maybe it will shed some light on how you have made very bold choices, not just this last one, but it seems like your career has been one of bold decisions. And you say that your life is a mixture of chaos and curiosity. Can you tell us about where that comes from? Well... I think um, as a kid, I was born in Iran. Um, my parents were in school in Boston, and so I spent my preschool, one year of preschool in Boston, which is where I learned English, and then we moved back to Iran. So I grew up going to an American school in Iran, which was relatively stable. And then the revolution happened, which was quite unstable. Um, and so we spent my fifth grade year 
in Iran while the revolution was actually happening. So we had martial law. We'd get bussed out of school. My father was under house arrest. These were all things that, you know, you sort of just pushed through because it was what was happening. That's scary. Um, I don't know that I registered the fear as a kid. I mean, I must have, but on some level, it was really, it it was like an adrenaline rush because you felt like you were in the middle of something. Um, I had, an you know, we all had American teachers and— um, it was sort of like Hotel Rwanda where people were on the roof asking to, you know, come get me kind of a thing because over the course of the year, more and more people were leaving because the situation was getting worse. But this one teacher had started um, a current events class, a moment. You had to come in and, you know, talk about the news from the day before. And I always had a piece to share. And I remember my mom came to pick me up and the, um, this teacher said to her, your daughter's going to be a journalist. And my mom said, oh, that's a fate worse than death because they were killing all the journalists oh, in that window. Oh, God. Um, but it was exciting. You know, it was an oddly exciting moment. So I think I got used to chaos because that was sort of what you had. And then from that moment on, we moved to Paris. Then we moved from Paris to um, sort of a lily-white suburb of San Francisco called Lafayette and settled there for most of my high school, but then moved my second semester senior year to Newport Beach. And then I ended up going here to New York um, for college, and my parents moved to London. And then when they stopped moving, I couldn't stop. So I ended up spending a semester in Paris. I graduated and then picked up knowing no one and moved to Buenos Aires. It was almost like, you know, they'd stopped, and I always thought, like, when they stopped, I would stop, but then I couldn't actually stop the motion. And there is something about motion moving you forward, you know, whatever the expression is about moss not um, sticking to— A rolling stone. A rolling stone, exactly. (laughs) Um, And so that forward motion takes you somewhere, and it may take you someplace you don't expect— um, when I moved to Argentina, I was moving there because I was trying to put myself into a political situation that was um, tenuous so that I could find a story to write, which was then going to break my career into actually getting a journalism job. And I got to Argentina, and it was— And um, how old are you at this time when you I this? I had just graduated college, so I must have been yeah. like 19 years old. So you know. fairly gutsy Yeah, strategy. now looking back, it seems totally crazy, but at the <laughs> yeah. time it seemed normal. Yes. Um, you know, I packed two suitcases. I showed up in Buenos Aires. I checked into a hotel. And um, I had a list of names of people to look up because I'd been planning to go for several months. And so when I would meet somebody and they would say, what are you doing? If they knew somebody in Argentina, they would give me a name. But most of the people were like three degrees removed. I remember I was trying to get a copy of the Buenos Aires Herald, which was written in English. And I'd called the embassy. And the gentleman who picked up the phone couldn't understand how I was going to Argentina and didn't know anybody. And he literally connected me to some woman named Diana I mean, a stranger on the phone. He was like, when you go, look up Diana. And then he sent me pictures to take for Diana. And I remember calling her when I got to Buenos Aires. Because he was worried about you. Because he was worried about me. <laughs> and he sa- I said, oh, I have pictures from Diego for you. She said, how is he? I said, I don't know. I've never <laughs> met him. <laughs> so it was just like a whole lot of accidents, if you would. Um, I say to people, you don't know what's going to happen when you put yourself out there. But I got to Buenos Aires, and they were making Highlander 2, the movie, with Sean Connery and Christopher Lampert. Yes. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'll snoop on the movie set so that I could get a story. And then I'll go to the Buenos Aires Herald and say, like, I, I have a story on Highlander, too, and that'll be a way for me to get in the door. And so I, um, another one of these women who I just met, I said to her, will you come with me? She said, I'm not good at that. I said, oh, don't worry. I'll do all the talking. <laughs> so the two of us showed up at the studios, and they said, can we help you? I said, oh, I heard you were looking to hire some people. And they set the two of us down in reception, and the receptionist disappeared, and they had the names of all the producers and stars on the wall in the old days, right before the internet. And I started scribbling. This was my moment. I was going to, you know, 
follow up with these people for a story later. In your reporter's notebook. Exactly. And yeah. my exactly my reporter's notebook. And they came back and they took us back and they hired us. And we ended up working on the movie for seven <laughs> weeks. So in the midst of a recession, I was getting paid in dollars. I had a free phone home and I was getting a, a driver to take me back and forth from my little hotel to the studios. So, you know, I say to you can have all the best laid plans, but sometimes life takes you in different directions. But this this is such an amazingly open, fearless, because people when people say you're brave and you like saying, well, not really, but you are. Yeah, I mean, uh, you put yourself in the way of, you know, you walk right into traffic and see what happens. But I'm wondering how you can translate that for people who, like the guy that wrote to you, the immigrant, who's maybe out of a job, not out of his own volition. Besides journaling, which sounds like is, or just writing has been very useful for you. What would you tell people who are going through a personal U-turn right now where they're out of a job and they're looking for the next phase of their life? Philosophically, how can they have, be more fearless about that? Because it's, it's a big insecurity for a lot of people. Yeah. And I mean, just to be clear, it's not that I don't have fear. I just have the ability to compartmentalize my fear. And sometimes it does seep in, right? So we're all human in the end. Um, I think, you know, Having a few people who you really trust who you can turn to, right? So when the person says you're brave and you get off the phone, it it sits with you. You're like, oh, my God, am I, am I being crazy? Am I really not going to be able to get back in? We all have those moments of doubt. But having somebody you know who you trust who you can then call and say, hey, I just had this phone call, and have that person reassure you um, if you should be reassured or if you shouldn't be reassured, right? So you sort of need a kitchen cabinet of trusted people in your life that you can turn to. And I think that's a really important yeah. thing to develop um, over the course of your life. They don't always, they're not always your best friends, honestly. Um, sometimes there are people, a Maybe couple your best of, friends actually aren't the best ones for that job. Sometimes they're too close, right? Yeah. So sometimes it's been interesting because the people who've reached out to me over this course of time who've wanted to give me advice and to tell me that it's going to be okay and to say that they did it were not always my best friends. They were you know, a few friends removed, if you would, um, in terms of proximity. Um, I mean, people can be incredibly kind, right? People write me, and my husband's always like, oh, Miriam always meets with strangers. And if I have time, I do, because, you know, I sort of feel like we're all in it together. I think one of the other things is I've always believed in being really honest about how difficult it is. I mean, as a woman executive, it was never easy. Um, I had a daughter who witnessed a suicide when she was in um, middle school, and so she developed terrible anxiety. And so while I had this crazy turnaround job, I was also dealing with her having PTSD. And I tell people all the time about her journey, about sort of the experience, because otherwise you feel so alone when you're going through these things. And so I say to people all the time, it's really important to be authentic and to lay it out like the good, the bad, and the ugly, because... Otherwise, people feel like somehow their more complicated life is somehow wanting because everybody else looks perfect, right? And we know that now with kids and social media. It's like, oh, well, everything looks great on, you know, Instagram. But the truth is life is complicated and messy and not easy. And it just makes people feel incredibly lonely. And it makes them feel lonely. And I think much more so now that we have sort of this whole social world um, that's virtual than we did before. We all need community. So I would say the biggest other thing is to, to develop a small community of trusted advisors. So, you know, one of the things, I, I went through something somewhat similar, and one of the things that I found was that I had to kind of unwind the strands of my identity that were work-associated from the strands of my identity that I see as as my my true deepest self. And 
it turned out that some of those elements of my work identity actually are part of my true deep self identity, but some of them really weren't. And I actually was sort of happy to see those things go. Some things were harder, and I missed them. What about for you? What pieces of your identity are you, do you miss? What were you, what are you glad to jettison? So it's interesting. Um, you know, I think as a kid, we left Iran with one suitcase. You sort of left like in the middle of the night, like you were leaving on vacation. You didn't go back. So I didn't get reconnected with my Barbie dolls for years until I went back to Iran. And my room was literally intact from when I had left oh, there. Oh, strange. So, you know, that notion of things being tenuous was something I got pretty early on as a kid. And I think I also had seen people not be loyal to each other. I mean, that's the other thing in a revolution. Like, when they come get you, who who are people willing to sell downstream so they can sa- save themselves? As a kid, that was like a really vivid memory because you saw it happen right and left. So I think there was always a sense of, like, not being tethered to anything and also not needing anybody. Not, you know, living a life where you're not counting on anybody because you have to count on yourself. I sort of didn't have a lot of that kind of attachment to the things. I used to not even put things up on my wall often in my hmm. office until really, if, like, more recently. Because, um, I, you know, you never knew when you were going to be leaving and you just wanted to be able to pick up and go quickly. And I remember once filling out a survey about where to live, and I needed to live in a city with lots of exits. So, you know, all these things are like part of your psychology of how you're made up, right? So I think I remember when I was getting ready to leave Hyatt, my husband said to me, you know, people aren't going to call you back as quickly or you're not going to get invited to all those fancy parties anymore. And, you know, mid-career, I had left um, sort of the corporate world and sort of had my own consulting business for five years. So I'd done that before. And I, of course, it's nice to be invited to all kinds of things. But to me, it's sort of like, been there, done that, and what's next? And I would say to other friends who were going through similar thing, there was a few of us um, who'd left our, our job, so we would touch base with each other. I would say, I'm trying to spend my time doing things I wasn't able to do before. I don't want to go back to the conference I was invited to, like holding on for dear life, because actually you go back and all people want to talk about is what are you doing next? And the number of people who would say to you, you can tell me what your next plan is. As if somehow you had a plan and you were just holding on to it and not telling them because, you know, it couldn't be possible that you would just leap off into thin air, right? So I think I, I wasn't as tethered to those things. But, I mean, you are used to sort of being somebody. I mean, my favorite thing is going to a cocktail party and somebody says, what do you do? And I say, oh, I'm unemployed. And immediately somebody fills in and says, she used to be the former CMO of Hyatt. <laughs> um, well, when we come back, we're going to talk more about what's now, not what's next, with Marian Bunakaram. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. We are talking with, I will not say all the formers <laughs> or the futures. We are talking about today's Mariam Banakaram and this experience you're having of putting your life on, or your work life, because your, li- your life sounds like it's blossoming in so many ways, but your work and your career on pause, at least temporarily. And we were just talking amongst ourselves about how, at least socially, everything changes, right? You walk into a party and people are, asking you what you do. It's almost like you have to have a resume like on your forehead as you walk through the door of a cocktail party. Has that had any impact on you? Do you just sort of laugh now? Do you still have to justify like, oh, I was the, you know, former chief marketing officer of a million places? Or do you just say, "Mm, I'm gardening or? No, I'd like to just say I'm unemployed just to freak people out. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, it's sort of interesting to see how people react. You know, I said. You ever try saying you're a housewife? No, because I never was really a housewife. Evil, that would be glares. interesting. I might have to try that. <laughs> yeah. I might have to try that. I do remember once when my husband had stopped working after he'd done a startup, and he would say he he wasn't working, and literally people would flee at the cocktail party to go find other people to talk to. It's much worse be for interesting. men. Interesting. Yeah, it is much worse for it's, men. It's worse because, for men because work and sports are that's what they've got. That's those are their two go to topics. People don't know how to take yeah. that in. Um, you know, so I think. It's not so much that I miss being a former, you know, having been that. I, I'm I'm waiting to figure out what I'm doing next so that I don't have to have that be my moniker. Um, I do some speaking sometimes or, um, you know, now I have time to do things that I didn't have before. So I was on a board at Columbia University for a while and now I'm, done, I'm doing some keynotes for them. And they always want to list you in some way as the person who's coming to do the keynote. So how yeah. should they list you? Yeah. And so, you know, the fallback is former CMO of Hyatt Hotels. And that's not who I am anymore, and yet you're still carrying that badge. And I think I'm— um, Proudly I said, unemployed. <laughs> I know. They don't want you as a keynote, proudly <laughs> unemployed. What you wish is that they could say your name and then say, you know, Mariam Bonacarum, wise and wonderful person. It doesn't work person that way. Person with, with <laughs> awesome stuff to share. I mean, it just, it just makes you sad that the world but does not work But it goes back to the power of branding. I mean, it really is about marketing, right? Because people need to have— my name doesn't mean as much. And so if they put my title, even my former title, somehow that validates me. And then it's like, oh, she must have interesting things to say because I don't know her by name. Now, if you said Oprah, people don't need to, she doesn't have to be former anything, right? She can stand on her own. We can all aspire to be Oprah. My mom always said it's never too late. <laughs> makes me crazy. <laughs> That's your next job. That's right. When people say, what are you going to do next? Like, I'm going to be Oprah. Just going to be Oprah. <laughs> um, I don't know how many 
how many Oprahs there can be. Um, but you could I be think, almost a third of the way there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking about all the crazy and wonderful things you've done. Maybe, maybe um, a third. So, you know, I don't know, but I've sort of been experimenting doing different things. I agreed to do an executive in residence program at Columbia, and it's been interesting spending time with students, right? I mean, I haven't had a chance to do that in a long time, and I'm always curious to know what they want to ask and what kind of help they're looking for and what that says in terms of what's happening with different age groups. Um, I've, you know, done some project work. I um, used to be on the board of Reporters Without Borders, which is a press advocacy group, and in December they asked me if I would chair the board. And, you know, press freedom is under huge attack, and it's an issue, especially as somebody who grew up in revolution, I care deeply about. And so I agreed to step up and um, be the board chair. Turns out it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, but I happen to have the time to do it, and that's been incredibly, incredibly rewarding. It's not hard to fill your dance card. I mean, I'm going to be the opposite of Shonda Rhimes and say, I'm trying <laughs> to say no. I'm trying to have this be the year of no, but so far I'm not doing so well. Because <laughs> professionally, I built my career as somebody who could make things happen, right? I was always a yes person. No problem. I don't, I've never done that before, but I can make it happen. And now I'm trying to practice saying, no, if I do that, like all the free space goes. So what are you using your free space for now? What, what, what's most meaningful to you? Well, I mean, honestly, spending time with my family, where yeah. I had a global job, I was gone a lot. My husband says, for somebody who's unemployed, you sure seem to be gone a lot still. <laughs> so I said to my son, do you think I'm gone a lot? He said, Mom, you're gone some, but you were just gone before. You know, yeah, I mean, he's sort of like, gone. Yeah. I, you know, you were, I was on a plane, Tokyo for 48 hours, you know, be in Dubai, and you just get on the plane because that's what you did. Um, I remember when I was commuting, it was kind of like the best part of starting a new job because, you know, you can't breathe for the first six to eight months. And I was commuting. So I would get on the plane on a Sunday, land in Chicago, and then I'd get back on a plane on a Friday. But I didn't have to worry about, you know, being present at night necessarily because my family wasn't here. So that just meant I worked around the clock. It was like I'd wake up at four in the morning, no problem. My people would be like, why is she sending me emails at two in the morning? But I didn't have anything to tether me to stop me from doing that, right, yeah. which your family will do for you. They'd yeah. be like, get off the phone, Mom. You know, it, one of the things that really bothers me is when a woman in a powerful position leaves that position and says, I'm, I'm doing it to spend more time with my family, that immediately triggers this skepticism. I think that's really the reason they must have fired her. You know, I mean, have you guys, you, you've, heard, you've heard that. It's not just women. I mean, I remember, right, as somebody who ran corporate communication as part of her job, when somebody left, they would say, oh, he's going to be spending more time with his family, which was code for right, code. they've been asked to leave. Right. I mean, yeah. why is this, why can this not just be true? Why can't we accept it? We know what jobs like this entail. We know that it, it makes perfect sense at a certain point you'd say to yourself, wait a second. I want to spend some more time with my family. So I think in Silicon Valley or in the startup world, it's more common because people start things and then they pass it, you know, they pass mm. it on and then they move on. So I have discovered, which makes sense when you think about it, that culturally there is that sort of, it's almost like a turnaround except it's a startup version, right? You burn the midnight oil to make that thing work and then you need a break and then you move on to the next project. But as Americans, we're so defined by work. That's why here, when you go to a cocktail party, the first question is, what do you do? And yeah. in Europe, they don't ask you that question, right? Yeah. So it's not coincidental that we sort of come from puritanical, work-oriented um, roots. So work is such a big part of everybody's identity. And so, you know, I mean, I think that's really the backdrop. And that's why people say those things. But it's been a gift spending time um, with the family and spending time with friends. I mean, I can't tell you the number of 50th birthday parties, you know, reunions. I just could never make. And so 
I joke, I now see people in person versus just on Facebook. And it's been amazing to reconnect with people. And honestly, you need the space to reconnect with your curiosity. For the last 15 years, I kept saying, I used to be an interesting person. And I really felt that way. When I was in college, I interned at the Brooklyn Academy of Music. I worked in British Parliament. I went to tons of movie. I wrote. Who had time to do all those things? Now I watch documentaries. I get to read books. I just read a great book, the educated book. It was amazing, right? And I, I just, I'm taking things in in a way that I just didn't have space for before. And I think when I go back to whatever that is, I needed that moment to be able to let things out of my head, to be able to let new things back into my head. You know, that's sort of how curiosity works. You're, it's, you can't just jam it in. When you go back into whatever that new vision of career looks like, do you bring the perspective with you? Because it sounds like with the level that you worked, there was no work-life balance. And that's there's the, always that myth of the woman who has it all and she works, uh, you know, an 80-hour week or you know, a 100-hour week and more if you're on planes and she has a perfect family and she, like, cooks a dinner at home every night. It doesn't sound like that was your life. No, that's and nobody's <laughs> life. I, right. Well, that's why I said the myth of the work-life balance. But now that you have had this period of reflection and getting back in touch yeah. with that other side of yourself— Will you be able to bring it into what you do next, or are you going to go back down the rabbit hole of workaholic? I don't know. That's really the truth. And, you know, I ask this question. So one of the things I've been super fortunate at, and I think it's been one of the keys to, um, I don't even use the word success, because I never feel like I'm successful. I mean, it's like one of those things, right? You never feel like you've accomplished anything. But one of the things that's been a critical part of my journey has been that I've had people who've worked with me over and over again. So I've had several um, people who've been on my team who've gone from job to job to job to job with me. And that gives you really quick shorthand. When you come into a new job and you have to make a lot happen, right? It's sort of like Malcolm Gladwell and Blink. You have a short window of time to have impact and make an impression on an organization. Well, when you have a small team that can read your mind and knows how to do it and you can just get off the ground quickly, that enables you to be able to do a lot pretty um, quickly. So, um, you know, our team broke up in, in essence. After a pretty good run, our team is now disbanded. All Everybody's doing different things. And I think that um, a lot of the ability to have been able to have any balance, I mean, and I don't mean the balance that you're describing, was that we ha we had a group of people who worked together who had each other's backs. So when I had a daughter who was going through terrible anxiety and I would have to uh, drop, you know, drop everything and run home or whatever, I had a team of people who had my back. And that made a big, big difference. Um, and who could channel you. Yeah. Pretty and, accurately. And who, and there was an, um, a trust, right, where it was yeah. like, oh, well, well, we'll cover for you kind of a thing. And we had that for each other. And that is a critical thing to actually being able to have any kind of semblance of a life outside of work. Do I think I can be better at having more distance? I don't know. I sort of think like you are who you are. I mean, I'm 50 years old now, right? And I, I said to somebody um, the other day, because my husband had kidney surgery, which turned out to be really complicated, and my daughter was home for an extended period of time because it was spring break. And um, it was snowing. It was a storm in Chicago. And I just wanted to get her to go exercise with me so that she could release the endorphins so that she wasn't making me crazy. <laughs> so we ran to go to Flywheel. And on the way, I stopped to get dog food because, you know, I have to multitask even as an unemployed person. <laughs> yes. And as I went to walk into the um, pet store or the vet to get the dog food, I walked into the glass door and broke my nose. Oh, my God. And so my nose is bleeding. You know, the woman's like, oh, my God, I just did that, too. I can't believe you broke your nose. I'm like, I don't know if it's broken. It's gushing. I have a big gash on my nose. 
I'm putting, you know, I'm stuffing my nose in. I put a yeah. tape on. You know, it takes me like an extra 10 minutes. I buy the dog food, mind you, because, yeah, you know, I'm there on a job. You're going to get it done. I put the Band-Aid on. I come out into the car. My daughter's like, what's going on? Where were you? And then she looks at me. I said, I think my nose is broken, but I still think we can make flywheel. Oh, my God. And she said, Mom, we're going to the emergency room. Yeah. And so I say all the time, you are who you are. It's not the job that's causing you to be, you know, moving in that pace. It's like self-induced, right? I mean, I've worked in a lot of jobs where people dial it in. I just wasn't built that way. Right. So you have to work on yourself to figure out, can you slow yourself down? Great, great advice. I think I, I definitely we can, work on, we can work on ourselves here. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. If you want to hear more from Miriam, reach out to her at, at Miriam B on Twitter. And as always, I want to thank our producer, Alicia Haywood. And I want to thank you all for listening. Please rate and review us if you haven't already. Connect with us and see you soon. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late. Three very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com. Come.